1806, U.S. Congressman John Randolph of Roanoke, Virginia, had a falling out with his cousin, President Thomas Jefferson. Randolph, while standing on the floor of the House of Representatives, stated, Those who disburse the money are like a saucy boy who knows that his grandfather will gratify him and overturns the sum allowed him at pleasure. What Randolph was talking about, his analogy was, that the grandfather was Congress and the saucy boy was the president. All civic students learn that Congress has the power of the purse. The Constitution gives the Congress the decision about whether to spend money or not. This shows up in Article I of the Constitution where it says, No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. The executive branch cannot make a decision on its own to spend money. And that's clearly what the framers of the Constitution wanted. But almost from the beginning of the Republic, the executive branch tried different ways to dodge that fundamental restriction. Subsequently, Congressman John C. Calhoun in 1816 and Henry Clay in 1819 both complained about Presidents James Madison and James Monroe, respectively, because of their attempts to sidestep Article I of the Constitution. The tactic was pretty simple at the time. Executive branch officials, the president or his cabinet members or appointees, would make contracts without already having the money from Congress. This was exactly how Thomas Jefferson acquired the Louisiana Purchase. When these incidents happened, Congress found itself backed into a corner. A commitment by the U.S. had already been made by the executive, so Congress felt it had to make the funds available because of some sense of moral or good faith obligation. Historians refer to these actions as creating a coercive deficiency. To take back control of the spending power, the Congress passed laws just after the Civil War that made such actions illegal. The main one is the Anti-Deficiency Act, which prohibits executive branch officials from obligating or spending money before it is given to them by Congress. It also prohibits these officials from taking money given to them for one purpose and using it for another. There are civil and criminal penalties for violating this law, as well as extensive auditing and reporting requirements. A version of the 19th century statute is still law to this day. Agencies themselves, Inspector Generals and the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, all look into potential violations, and there are some that are found every year. Some of these are just simple errors. Some are disputes over bookkeeping rules or interpreting legislation. Some are relatively small. Others are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Civil servants can be disciplined or fired for violating the law, along with being criminally prosecuted for a willful knowing violation. This act becomes especially significant when Congress fails to provide appropriations. At that point, government employees are legally prohibited from spending money because they haven't been given any money to spend. So, an agency head cannot authorize a government employee to come to work. That would be incurring a government obligation without having an appropriation. The law also prohibits accepting voluntary services for the government, so the agency head can't even allow people to volunteer to do their jobs. So when Congress and the executive come to an impasse, 
If the president vows to veto the submitted budget, the only way that it can be subverted is if both the Senate and the House of Representatives vote to override the veto by a two-thirds margin each, which means the override would need to be 288 votes in Congress, 66 in the Senate, and given the current political makeup of both houses, that ain't likely to happen anytime soon. So, a dusty law designed in the last half of the 19th century to stop excessive federal spending is now being employed to guide the government in a dispute over, yes, you guessed it, excessive federal spending. The irony is that these shutdowns always cost more money to restart than they usually save. Typically, employees get their back pay for the days they didn't work, and then they have to catch up on all of the work that wasn't done while they were on involuntary furloughs. So, it's a very expensive way to try to save money by playing politics over a physical crisis. We gotta fix this. So whether you believe in building a wall across the southern U.S. border or not, this little game that we're playing is hurting a lot of folks in the meantime, some directly, some indirectly. I hope you are not one of them, but chances are some of you will be. This is episode 32. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Hello, folks, and welcome to the Brews Traveler, and thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. Uh, This week's show is going to be a bit different than what we've done in the past. We're going to take a look at the current government shutdown and how it's impacting the craft brewing community here in the United States. First, I'm going to talk with freelance journalist Tony Rehagen, who's kind of looked at the national impact of this whole thing and how that's affecting universally affecting craft breweries across the country. Then I'm going to pass on some comments to you that I received from some of the craft brewers that I've met over the past year and get their take on the shutdown and how it's affecting them, their employees, and their communities. And then to close out the show, I've got an interview with my good friend Jeff Schrag, owner of Mother's Brewing in Springfield, Missouri, and he'll let us know how the shutdown is directly impacting his business. And of course, I'll have some editorial commentary along the way, as you know I always do. But first, speaking of Mother's Brewing, I've got an announcement. This coming Wednesday at Patty Malone's Pub in Jefferson City, we're going to have a tap takeover by Mother's Brewing Company. January 23rd, eight different draft beers from Mother's on Tap, beginning when we open at 3 o'clock and going until the beer runs dry or 1 a.m., whichever comes first. Uh, But since we won't run out of brews, well, that means... It'll be 1 (laughs) a.m. Hope to see you there, and please let me know if you can make it. If I see you there, come up, say hello, let's have a beer together. But right now, let's get the show going. We're going to talk about the government shutdown, craft brewing, and here's my conversation with Tony Rehagen from last night. Hey, ha, da-da-da-da, yeah, ha, hey, Cardi on scale of What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? 
So now let's check in with freelance journalist Tony Rehagen, and he's got some uh, things he's pulled up about the shutdown and how it's affecting the craft beer community. How are you, Tony? Doing well. About yourself, Alan? I'm doing great. Um, regarding the shutdown here in the capital, we haven't seen any major consequences as of yet. Although uh, I do know that there are a number of state agencies that depend upon federal government grants and federal government funding. I used to work for one of those agencies. That was the State Historic Preservation Office, which uh, gets money from, for its for its operations from the Department of the Interior. And uh, when back in the 90s, when I worked over there in the Clinton administration, we had a shutdown. We barely skipped missing two weeks, and uh, then we would have been furloughed too. So I understand what these people are going through from that experience, just the anxiety of not knowing when you're going to get your next paycheck. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing too, is that people don't think about too, is they, you know, all these people are kind of saying, well, they can look for another job or something, but most of these federal employees have to get permission to get a different job. Like, and, and they don't have the administration to get that. So, I mean, they're just kind of screwed. I mean, right. Every, everybody's in limbo right now. And, and you know, it's just, it's just nuts, but the craft beer community is, I've spoken of earlier has some uh, has some different uh, concerns right now, and you've been sure. looking into those. Well, like, like you said, you haven't noticed anything uh, impacting impacting there in uh, Central Missouri. But the thing is, with the with beer is going to be the things you don't see, and that's because the two major uh, federal agencies we're talking about here are the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the ATF, and the Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, who right. both have their their hands in the regulation of the craft beer industry. And the big thing, the big things this is affecting are the permits for new breweries, uh, obviously with the ex- exponential growth of, of the industry. There are lots of breweries that are waiting to open their doors, facilities waiting to open um, to get their federal licenses to, to do this. And also existing breweries trying to open new locations. Um, and then the big thing is that, that things that, that people won't notice until they do is the, uh, the TTB, the, the Tobacco Ch- Tax and Trade Bureau, uh, approved labels on all new products that are above 7% ABV. Um, so anytime a, a new craft brewery wants to put out a new product, they're going to have to get approval on that label to, to market that uh, and, and, and approval for the formula to make sure it's all kosher. And well, not, not authentically kosher, but you know, legit. right, right. Legit <laughs> it, within right. the parameters of what's supposed to be legally done. Right, right. And that's, and that's a big problem with craft beer breweries is, as we've talked about ad nauseum, is that the craft beer drinker is promiscuous. Like we like to jump from the newest thing to the newest thing. And when these little breweries aren't able to put out the newest thing, they have to kind of fall back on, on the other thing. I mean, they're, you know, talk to some of the craft breweries and I know you talk to mothers. I mean, they put out 20 to 30 to 40 different beers a year and they, and you you build your trade on these new exciting new limited releases and things. And you can't, they can't do this. Um, And the problem is that even when the shutdown ends, if it ever ends, it's the longest in history now, um, there'll be a backlog. All this stuff is just piling up on the desks and outside the doors of these agencies. And so, I mean, there's no guarantee that we'll see anything. And then there are a lot of breweries preparing for the worst of that, like, you know, months and months of of further waiting. Right. Uh, and, And when you're opening up a new facility, that means you're paying rent and utilities on something that's ready to go and is not bringing any income in. So it's just money just literally just flooding out the door. Right. There's one brewery that's getting ready to open in Newton. I'm going to talk to the listeners about it after our interview. Uh, up in Newton, Iowa. And they can't open. They're ready to go. They were ready to go January 1st. That was going to be their launch date. 
and uh, they can't open their doors. And right. the, bank, the bank's on them. They've got employees that are waiting to come to work. They've got stuff they're wanting to do. And anybody that's owned a, a small business, all right, you, you, I'm going to tell you what, little things can kill you. I mean, mm-hmm. they can, I mean, they can absolutely kill you. And, and the fact that uh, these folks are in limbo because they can't get their licensing and their tax stamps, I, I feel for them. I really do. Absolutely. One, like you, like you mentioned, it trickles down. It's not just the breweries, it's the, it's the employees, but it's also the bar owners, it's the right. retailers trying right. to keep their shell stocks, try to keep these people coming in the door. Right. Uh, and again, this is another big instance where the big boys have an advantage because while they have to go by the same laws, the big boys like ABV and all these guys, uh, they have they have backlogs of, of labels. Their major brands are already right. pre-approved. They just push more Bud Light and Coors Light out the door right. uh, and Blue Moon and, and kind of just keep flooding the market well, while these other little guys right. try to struggle. Even even the big craft brewers, I talked to Doug Velicki with Rev uh, Brewing up in uh, Chicago, and he goes, you know, we're, we've been doing this so long and we've been doing it at such a large scale that, you know, we are months and months out in front with our labeling and licensing on brands uh, before we ever introduce them. Sure. And and he goes, right now, he says, we're okay. But if uh, this thing goes on much longer, they've got beers coming down the line that they're going to want to be packaging and selling outside of their tap room in their brew pub. And they're not going to be able to do that if this thing doesn't get resolved within a certain amount of time. He didn't. He didn't really say what that amount of time was. Uh, he kind of led me to believe that it's uh, it, he, they've got some time on their hands. Sure. But I, I read a story in the Wall Street Journal where they talked to people as big as Sierra Nevada and even Sam Adams. Sam Adams is trying to update the recipe for their uh, Sam Adams Summer Ale to right. roll out, you know, usually what, in April, May. Right. And they can't they can't get approval for that yet. Right. Uh, and they, they got a new beer coming out with Himalayan salt, which is interesting. Um, they can't roll that out. Um, but they can still draw an existing library of labels. They, they have a backlog. If, if worse came to worse, they have this this big this big backlog. And, of, of you know this big library of previously released yeah and, and what they on. and what they do then is what they do then is they say okay well this is this year's version of right XYZ that we brewed like three years ago and but it might be a completely different beer but they're just gonna they're gonna put it under an, an existing label an existing brand that they have in their stable. Right, right. And then really a lot of the stories I read too really hit on this, that it really hits the mid-sized brewers because even the smaller brewers who just, you know, the brew pubs who just put out, you know, through their, who just, you know, pour beers in, in their establishments, right. they don't need this approval. It's this mid-sized, this four hands, right. this mother's size breweries it's, that, yep. that distribute regionally. Um, and But, but you mentioned the, the timing. I mean, these barrel age releases, which are so huge. I mean, you're timing that to pop that barrel at whatever, you know, the 10 month, 12 month stay to get your beer out. And, and you have, and you have in this bottle and that stuff, I mean, beer, no matter how good of care you take of it, ingredients deteriorate, flavors change. Exactly. Like, it goes. It exactly. Goes and I mean, these guys got this down to a science. They know when it mm-hmm. needs to come out of the barrel, when it needs to be going to the bottle, getting bottled conditioned, whatever they know. And then they know what time it needs to be on the shelf and they know how much shelf life that that has. They need to get that in the market before they pull it. And so especially, you know, these, and some of these beers that are lower ABV, 
Um, I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of beer dumped because, as you said, you mentioned earlier, the backlog that has been caused over these three and a half weeks, mm-hmm. it's going to take TTB forever to mm-hmm. get through that. And so a lot of these beers that are around five and a half, six percent, they're going to be doomed on their shelf life before Absolutely. before they get approval to be to be put out there they're going to be done they're going to be yeah. dumping beer well for example uh the wall street journal article mentioned prairie artisan ales from uh, oklahoma sure which does a great like their great bomb yeah. uh stout uh they're right now sitting on five hundred thousand dollars worth of what they call O fudge which is a new chocolate stout made with brownies uh and i mean that brewery even though it's a, it's a big regional power and it's got a lot of national press um they only have 75 employees and they they were expecting that one beer to be along with two other new releases that they have to get approval for to be about sixty percent of their first quarter revenue. I mean that's a tremendous hit for a small business to hit. Holy I mean, cow! You, oh right? man! Oh, well I I know this. I mean, I mean we're a small business down at the pub, right? We had right. A, we had a snowstorm this last weekend, and we can we can eat we can eat a weekend, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. but we had to close early. We had to send employees home. You know, and yep. we might get another and our weekends, our weekend nights are, our, are some of our most profitable nights, Friday and Saturday. Right. So. Absolutely. Right. And so we can eat one maybe. But now it's talking about we're going to get ice and snow again this next weekend. So that's two in a row. That's going to get into my that's going to get into my uh, RV time. You know, right? Uh, and I understand these small businesses. Now, some of these guys are bigger, right? Than than right. a little than a little mom and pop pub on the corner of the street. But I understand when you're when you're a small business owner, and things beyond your control, things that are putting undue pressure upon you and your employees. This is gonna get uglier and uglier and uglier and the thing is is that you know why this is why there's no political courage Mm -hmm. there's none i mean in congress okay go ahead house of representatives senate throw that bill back up there that we had an agreement on that what was it 1.9 billion for border security go ahead and Mm -hmm. throw that back up to the white house and then if the president vetoes that, which he will, because he's been buffaloed by the conservative media that he can't budge on this, so he's going to veto it, and then it's get thrown back to the Senate, and they have to, they have a, they have a uh, what do I want to override. say? They have an override ability. They have an override ability. There is a machination there that they can override a veto, but they don't want to do that. The reason they don't want to do that is because they think that the president will then start a tweet storm about how they backed down and they gave in, and that's where we're at. There is no political courage in any of these people's hearts. None. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I under I understand <clears throat> one out of four Republicans. The Wall Street Journal, which is a conservative, which is a conservative piece of n- newspaper journalism, right? The Wall yeah, Street, absolutely. the Wall Street Journal did a did a quiet poll with the Republicans in the House and the Senate. Only one out of four of them wanted a wall. 
they really wanted this wall, they would have passed it like they did that tax cut in the first two years when they had all the control. Walls for, can for be, a problem that really doesn't exist. It, it doesn't exist. 70% of the people, 70% of the people that come in here, this country, and stay illegally are coming through airports. And there's not been one reported case of a Middle Eastern terrorist coming across the southern border of Mexico. Not one. Zero. And if anybody's going to disagree with that, cite me a source that says it has happened. I've looked it up. It doesn't happen. There are more modern 21st century ways to monitor that border. There's military, there's military technology out there with satellites that we can see people doing stuff on the ground. I, I understand, but to build a concrete or steel wall all the way across the border of the United States, it didn't work for Emperor Antinian. It uh, didn't work for it didn't work for Emperor Hadrian. It didn't work for the Chinese to keep the Mongols out. Walls don't work. They don't. Not on that massive size of scale. Sure, you can wall up a compound, but you're just it's called a castle, and then you're under siege. It just, they don't work, and people know that. And all the and all the border security experts know it's not going to work. But this president has promised it, and it's it it it's a very simple concept for people that don't want to think um, on on a deeper level. And he is he's decided he's gonna he's gonna go to hell on this. He's gonna ride to hell on this failed uh, idea. And believe me. I'm as concerned about border security as anybody. And we've been doing a great job in this country. Our numbers of illegal immigrants coming across the border have done nothing but gone down since the Reagan administration. And right now, those numbers are at an all-time low. And to spend five-plus billion dollars on a wall that's not going to do anything in return is ridiculous. And some people say, well, it'll keep out drugs. No, it won't. It won't keep out drugs. Drug dealers and drug importers are just going to find other ways to get them into the country. That's all. The shutdown is both useless and incredibly expensive, and it's hurting people. And it's costing us $1.2 billion every week. Mm-hmm. We're going to... Three ex- weeks deep now. Three weeks now. So next week, we're going to exceed what... He was having what's he what he's having his temper tantrum over. So I I I I feel for these folks out there. I really my heart goes out to them because I know what it's like to have that kind of anxiety. Number one and number two, then the real reality of not making your money, not hitting your goals, not paying your bills, not able to provide your employees with a standard of living, and it's just ridiculous. Absolutely. Okay, so any other specific examples where this has really become onerous for these uh, craft brewers? Well, we we just talked about uh, Prairie, which is the smaller end of the spectrum. But even on the larger spectrum, uh, end of the spectrum, you have New Belgium, of course, you know, uh, Fat Tire over in Fort Collins. Uh, they have 740 employees, you know, 10 times what uh, Prairie has, uh, but they can't move f- forward with their newest version of, of the Hemperer, which is an HPA made with uh, whole flower hemp instead of hemp seeds. 
uh, until the government approves that recipe. It's, you know, it's using hemp. It's kind of on the, on the cutting edge of that. Uh, and again, this is just slowing the progress of, of these breweries that have planned this, you know, months and in some cases years in advance to try to get hit the market at the right time with these things. Uh, and then they're also sitting on, uh, you know, the, the bottle aged, uh, the, the barrel aged uh, beer. You know, uh, they have something called Wood Cellar, Wood Cellar Reserve which has been aging in wood barrels for 10 months. And they, they, they plan to tap that and bottle it now and they, they have to hold off. It. Um, and as we said, you know, those, those chemicals break down, but really what it, what it draws, uh, anytime something like this happens, you, you, you can't help but kind of reflexively wonder why, why a government shutdown is affecting this. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I, I've seen a lot of people, you know, kind of wondering, well, if, if these quote unquote, employees aren't essential then why are they getting paid in the first place which is a bunch of baloney and anybody living in central missouri certainly should should you know <laughs> anybody that lives in a government town knows yeah. this you know i mean yeah there's there are eight hundred thousand federal employees that doesn't count suppliers contractors support services that are privately and, and owned that have contracts with state and federal government this is affecting that some estimates as many as six million Americans. Exactly. Well, and, and that's the thing. And then those people kind of like beat their chest and say, well, well, we don't need them. You know, why are they involved in the first place? Uh, and, you know, you can get into it with the business regulation. And obviously, as a small business, that's the other end of the push is that, you know, government oversight, all these permits you have to fill out. But when we're talking about beer, we're talking about things we put in our bodies. Uh, and that, that's another thing that's coming oh, out. Oh, FDA, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people yeah. people that are watching out for what we put in, and that's that's what you know, the Tobacco Tax Bureau is, is essentially doing with some of these things is checking out these recipes. I mean, if you're going to drink a weed beer, wouldn't you like to know that it's been kind of gone over, okay? And that yep. explicitly, you know what you're reading right. in the label. It, they don't get into the FDA's part, side of it; they get more into like, is this label can can clearly state what's inside this bottle, right? Um, which is something that we've, I think, as a society, is kind of agreed is a big deal, and that's that's what's really holding it up so I, I don't see any other way around that um and so yeah that's that's really what what's at the heart of this yet. yeah you, you know and those for those people who say well this really isn't affecting me it's not affecting me you don't understand how this all works mm -hmm. your 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 state highway department your state department of transportation that works on the roads they get federal funding we're coming into the warmer months after we get out of winter and we're going to be needing construction. Guess what? That's going to all be delayed. All of that's going to be delayed. Uh, this, that's just one example. The FDA is going to be behind in approving new products to go out the, in for food. That's going to be delayed. It's all going to be delayed. It's, it, it's going to cost more money to fix this than we're saving. That's yep. it. That's it. Of course, the, the the cynical side of me, the uh, the Leroy Rehagen side of it, my dad. Uh, the one interesting thing is that there is one sector of the TTB that is still open and, and running at full speed, and, and you'll never guess what what sector of that is. What's that? The one that's collecting the taxes. Oh, of course, <laughs> they absolutely. They no, no, yeah, we're we still have to pay our payroll taxes. We still have to pay our our withholding, although we're. You know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> I'd like to see a shutdown on that too, but right. <laughs> right. Tony, thanks a lot, man. And Thank uh, you, Alan. give me a sounding board. Uh, I, this, this is just so frustrating. I, um, 
on a on a short poll that I took with legislators that come into the pub, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, they all think this is just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And the sooner we can get it fixed, the better off we'll be. Agreed. Freelance journalist Tony Rehagen. I'll talk to you next week, buddy. Thanks much, Alan. See you now. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. So that was my conversation with Tony. That was yesterday. Uh, we had that. Of course, nothing has changed in the world of American politics. It's just getting nastier and nastier. And uh, more and more stories are coming down the line about people who are being impacted uh, because they can't make their livelihoods. I uh, contacted a number of breweries last week uh, and just asked them, you know, how has the shutdown impacted you? Uh, a lot of them got back to me and said, eh, we really don't want to make a comment uh, because it, this, this issue is politically charged. And, but um, then I, some of them are quite, quite open about uh, what they had to say. First, I talked to a small brewer who really doesn't have, uh, they don't have any uh, out-of-state shipping, so this is not really affecting them that much. Uh, that was single speed up in uh, Waterloo, Iowa, and they, they put out this uh, announcement. We've been unaffected as far as I am aware since none of our packaged beer leaves the state. We don't have to worry about colas or have the TTB-approved labels. My understanding that this or any new license permits are the primary thing that breweries are talking about in regards to the shutdown. I've heard that some state ABDs require TTB approval for a new beer to be sold even within the state, but Iowa is not such a state. So I found this article in the Des Moines Registered, which Anna Hanish of uh, Single Speed pointed me to, and uh, it it lines out what the law states because of the shutdown. Here's what is going on as far as craft brewers are concerned. New beers can't be distributed across state lines without tobacco tax bureau labels, meaning Iowa brewers can't deliver new products to out-of-state consumers and popular national brands such as Dogfish Head, Sierra Nevada, or Boulevard Brewing can't get approval to distribute new beers in Iowa. In other words, you have to get approval for new labels so before you can sell them in other states where you might have distribution. Also, the article goes on to say, breweries in planning need a federal brewer's notice from the TTB before opening a letter that some brewers say takes months to receive from an operational government. So, new breweries, which we're going to try to get online after the first of the year, aren't, aren't able to do so. And one such case is... Gazellig Brewing Company, uh, Betsy Duffy, who's one of the owners, she can't afford to wait much longer. Duffy submitted in November a brewer's notice for Gazellig Brewing, excuse me, a taproom plan to open in Newton, Iowa, and they can't advance on state approvals before jumping the federal hurdle. She says, I got the bank knocking on my door now, but I've got no money coming in on this investment. I wish I could say it was comical. It might be if I didn't care so much about getting the brewery up and going. So that's another thing that it's doing. And yeah, these people that have invested millions of dollars and countless hours to try to get their business up and going, they can't now because they can't get the federal approval to do such. So there's another group of people 
that weren't affected prior to the shutdown that are now being, in some cases, could be absolutely devastated by it. As I mentioned in the uh, the interview with uh, Tony, well, I shouldn't say interview, our conversation, uh, I heard from Revolution Brewing out of Chicago, Doug Velicki, the CFO, he was so kind to get back to me. And uh, he, here's a, one of the larger craft brewers in the United States, and he said to me, as far as the shutdown goes, we're not the best brewery to quote because we pushed through a bunch of our key 2019 labels and got them approved before December, uh, before the shutdown. We don't have anything new that needs to go through for a few more months. There's likely a bunch of breweries that are struggling to release new products right now. Tucker Sarkazian uh, with Sweetwater down in Atlanta, Georgia, she basically said the same thing. You know, these big guys, they're looking out, they're planning their stuff months, if not years ahead of time. So they're always ahead of the curve on, on this stuff uh, with their labels and getting them approved. It's the smaller guys that it's really hurting. Nick Irvine with uh, Dark Sky Brewing. Now, the shutdown doesn't really affect Dark Sky because they don't distribute. Uh, they're a small brewery. Uh, they sell in-house and they sell crowlers. But he had an interesting take on this, and I wanted to share it with you. The Grand Canyon is a huge draw for the city of Flagstaff. Even though the park is still open, we have heard a few people commenting that they think it's actually closed, much like Joshua Tree National Park. This is affecting traffic through the city and thus the ability for us to serve our passion to every potential customer. So in some cases in these places where federal monuments, state parks, state forests and stuff, where that's a draw for tourism and traffic, uh, they're having issues. Uh, they're seeing a downturn in visitors from out of town. Uh, for as for, as far as their customers are concerned. And then Mark and Leslie Henderson of Lazy Magnolia in Kiln, Mississippi, they got back to me and said, Alan, this area has a good number of government workers. It's impacted our local people. Obviously, we are waiting on labels as well, and that is an impact to our release schedule, but it is our customers that are hurting the worst. And he goes on, NASA Stennis Space Center is one of our major employers. That means in the Kiln, Mississippi area. A lot of people here are contractors to the Space Center, NASA, and other government agencies. And those people will not get back pay. Only direct government employees will get uh, their pay uh, once this whole thing's over. That's just a few people that I heard from. Uh, I heard from others that said, you know, they didn't want to go on the record to comment because uh, they, uh, because of how politically charged this is. And I just want to say, politics aside, here's what really needs to be done. We all need to contact our congressmen and our senators and say we want a resolution to this. There are people out there that are hurting terribly not just in the craft beer community, but across the country. 800,000 federal employees and millions and millions of contractors, uh, support services, employees, people that depend upon government dollars for their incomes. And this is really, really hurting. It's impacting a lot of communities. If Congress, the Senate, and the White House would just get together on this, look, we know that $5.7 billion is not going to cover the construction of a wall 
across the southern border of the United States. There are better ways to handle border security. This just needs to be worked out and it needs to be fixed. This is what we send you to Washington for. This is what you need to do. You need to fix it. Get these people back to work and get their lives back on track. Uh, I've been around politicians for a good portion of my life. Uh, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Most of them, they come into this work with the best of intentions. It's your responsibility as a voter and a citizen of this country to vote, to keep the bad ones out or get rid of them after we've learned that they're bad. Anyway, that's enough that I want to talk about on politics. Here's my interview with Jeff Schrag of Mother's Brewing Company. This is your interview of the week. Now we have Mr. Jeff Schrag, Mother's Brewing Company. How are you doing, Jeff? Alan, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing all right. Yeah, everything's uh, peachy keen here in the capital city. Uh, I understand we have an event next week. Yes, we do, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a great... Uh, we have a Springfield event in Jeff City, and we try to have a uh, happy hour afterward at Patty Malone's every chance we get, and I'm pretty excited. We're going to have six or eight of your... I think eight of your beer, some of your specialty beers that, you know, that normally we might not be able to get a hold of. We're going to have those on tap, and that's next Wednesday. That's the 23rd of January at the pub. And uh, I don't know about what the hours are, but anybody out there that's listening and wants to know, uh, just go over to the Patty Malone's Pub uh, Facebook page, and you can find uh, all the information you need to know about uh, Mother's Tap Takeover and Springfield's uh, City's Night in the Scenic Capital. Very nice. I'm looking forward to it, Alan. Great. It's always pretty lively. And I'm so glad that uh, my health is good this year i don't have pneumonia and <laughs> like last year and uh, and and i'm going to be in town but what i really wanted to talk to you about and tony and i've been talking about this uh earlier well what what has this shut down i know here we are when we're talking now i don't know it may be resolved by the time this goes on to the podcast on thursday but i kind of doubt it uh what what does this mean to you guys so for us, what it impacts is special things. So we are really lucky that of our year-round stuff and our volume movers, that um, those won't really be affected uh, because we have those approvals in. Now, Alan, if you may remember this. We just got done changing all of our labels and all of our packaging. Right. If we were in the middle of a packaging change, oh, my goodness, that would be a, a rough deal because you kind of plan to run out of packaging as close as you're willing to – to risk, but thankfully that's behind us. We changed all that in, in August. So for us, it's those specialty beers that are, you know, you do once a year or they're new or they're innovation that are going to see a package. So the first one up is Modern Familius, our barrel aged imperial stout. We have a single barrel variant of it that's just aged in rum barrels. Right. And that one we submitted uh, the 13th of December. And we feel like it was two or three days away from being approved, and it's been held up. Oh. So we've pushed back the packaging on it. And then we've got probably seven or eight other beers like it that are coming out this year that we're getting more and more nervous about. 
So we're doing what I think a lot of people are doing, and that is we're submitting everything we can possibly get done early, knowing that it's going to take them possibly a year to catch up to the previous times they had. Holy cow. Because they're missing, I forget how many days they've been down, 24 days. Now, they don't work weekends. Right. But, you know, there's just more and more breweries well, and, and more, it's and more just, labels It's going to get worse. I mean, it, it... So, again, we keep thinking like you do in these things. It could be worse. Huh. You know, we could have our spring seasonal right. tied up. Well, uh, one of, we don't. Yeah, one of the things you said about those beers like um, Mater Familias, uh, they're high in alcohol. So, they can, they don't age, they age well. Right, they do, they do. So, but but yeah. if you had low, if you had like a sessionable beer that you needed to get out and you had to get go through all of this, you that's that's problematic right there. It is very problematic. You're right, because quality, you know, you just can't. Um, yeah, and it's you know it's an interesting thing. I know there's some breweries do a really good job of managing the paperwork and the government side of it, but I think we're probably more artist. Then we are a uh, technician in the right. brewing industry. Right. And so, you know, labels cause a lot of us to pull our hair out. Did we, did we apply? Did we apply in time? I thought you applied, you know, we have, we have some of those things and doggone both the TTB and the state of Missouri have done a good job over the last two years. It's a lot different than when I started. Uh, you're able to get stuff through a lot faster, which is wonderful but right. I think it's also made us a little bit, you know, complacent. Right. Well, yeah, like you said, it's things have gotten better. They've gotten it was a new territory, you know, and um mm-hmm. and then, absolutely. And now now these agencies they got they kind of have a like you said, they have a pattern, they have a familiarity with it and they can get stuff done faster than they could in the beginning. But uh yeah, it, it, who knows how long this is going to last and what and and what the mess is going to look like at the other end. Yeah, exactly right. Now they're still processing our tax checks. Okay. And all of our excise tax returns. Explain. Oh yeah, sure. They're they're, yeah. Everything's going through the bank on their end. That's of course. Uh, Uh Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh So any, anything else that you foresee that might be troublesome if this thing lingers on for another two weeks? Well, just the, the backlog will just continue. I mean, I guess there's people, I assume there's folks like us out there, I know there are, who now are increasing their filings, fearing this happening again. You know, they may come right. to, a, to a, a temporary compromise. And we may see this again. So that whole backlog, um, you know, I'm not flying anywhere. Thank okay. goodness. Yeah. But that's a tough deal, too, when, when you hear about that. Yeah. I I I I talked I talked a little bit earlier um about some of the uh breweries there in areas where there's a lot of federal government employees and they've already seen a downturn in their business and uh not o- not only in their tap rooms but also their retail side so mm-hmm. yeah this is it's a mess and I hope that for everybody's sake especially those that are dependent upon uh, federal, uh, federal employees, uh, not only as customers, but also to get your work done. Let's hope this thing ends pretty soon. Yeah, I agree with you, Alan. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate your words and, uh, thanks for coming on and letting everybody kind of have an idea of what this means to, uh, brewers, craft brewers like yourselves.
Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. I'll see you next week. Buddy. All right. See you next Wednesday night. That's at Patty Malone's. Right. It's the Mother's Tap Takeover. Eight different brews on draft. And uh, if you want to know more, check out Patty Malone's Facebook page, or I'll also have on the Brews Traveler and and uh, some information about it. Thanks again, Jeff. We'll see you next week. All right. Take care, Alan. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Well, that's it, kids. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Brews Traveler Podcast, and send me a message. Tell me what you think of the show. Uh, Just another reminder, this coming Wednesday night, January 23rd, Mother's Brewing Tap Takeover at Patty Malone's Irish Pub in the scenic capital, Jefferson City, starting at 3 in the afternoon and going all night. Hope to see you there. If you've got any questions about that, just check out uh, our Facebook page at the Bruce Traveler Podcast or over at Patty Malone's Irish Pub. The soundtrack for the Bruce Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm. You can check out their upcoming tour schedule for 2019 over at their website, GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So until next week, if I don't see you at the pub or at a tap room, I'll see you right here on the podcast. Remember, think globally, drink locally, take care of each other, take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And merrily, as always, honey, you are the measure of my dreams. So that's it, everybody. Thanks again for listening. And so long for just a while. Who's round? Is it anyway? I paid just the other day. You know that it's really not that hard. All you gotta do is pull out your credit card. You call yourself a friend of mine, but I am paying all the time. And when it's time to drop some dough, you're the one that's always slow. You say that it's not that you're cheap. If your arms are too short and your pockets are too deep It's got alligator arms It's your arms, it's your arms, it's your alligator arms It's your alligator arms It's your arms, it's your arms, it's your alligator arms My mother thinks that you're a saint Everybody else, we all know you ain't My sister has a crush on you I bet she changed her mind if she only knew the bill arrives, you'll never find it to the bar inside your own. Just once, why don't you volunteer? Get up and buy us all a beer. You say that it's not that you're cheap. It's your arms are too short and your pockets are too deep. It's your alligator arms. It's your arms. your arms. It's your alligator arms. It's your alligator arms. seem to have a clue we don't want to hang out or go to bars with you your wallet must have a lock and key or maybe you just think that everything in life is free we're not asking for a yacht we just want a whiskey shot a beer of vodka would be fine a cocktail or a glass of wine it's your alligator arms your arms your arms it's your alligator arms it's your alligator arms Telling you, I'm telling you, I tell you, this is what I think. It's time to cowboy up and buy us all a drink. We all agree. 
It's got to be your show, you better belly up and get your money out. It comes to drinking, you're the man, you drink more than a camel can. You're like a freaking reservoir, you're knocking back like Johnny Carr. You say that it's not that you're cheap. It's your arms are too short and your pockets are too deep. It's your alligator arms, it's your arms, it's your arms, you've got alligator arms. It's your alligator arms, it's your arms, it's your arms, you've got alligator arms. It's your alligator arms. want a friend in Washington, get a dog. Harry S. Truman, 33rd President of the United States. Born May 8, 1884, Lamar, Missouri. Died December 26, 1972, Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs>